We've all been there, justifying our creative job to mum and dad, explaining what our job is to granddad, brushing off jokes about freelancing from our mate who works in finance. But times are changing and the value of creativity is being recognised. The creative industries are the fastest growing part of the UK economy and the least likely jobs to be taken over by robots. I'm Kayleigh McLeod and this is Get A Proper Job, where I'll be talking about the issues that matter. We've got an opportunity to kind of reach new people through new technologies, but my focus is always making sure that we're not leaving anyone behind. Today we're talking about the rapid move to digital for creative workers with Kelly Barr and Professor Chris Speed. Hello and welcome. In today's episode, we'll be looking at the rapid move to digital for creative workers as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic and exploring what the challenges and learnings might be for creatives and participants. In a report published in June, the Creative Industries Policy and Evidence Centre reported that consumers seem to be embracing a range of non-traditional content since the COVID-19 crisis started. For example, the use of video conferencing for work, watching filmed performances of theatre, concerts and dance shows online, and looking at art, paintings and photographs online. Consumers report spending notable amounts of time consuming cultural content each day. So to discuss all things digital, we're joined today by two guests who can share their experience and knowledge in this area. Kelly Barr is Arts and Creativity Programme Manager for Age Cymru, the largest charity working with and for older people in Wales. Kelly heads up the annual Gwanwyn Festival, which celebrates creative ageing, and Cartrevi, the largest arts and care homes project in Europe. And Professor Chris Speed is Chair of Design Informatics at the University of Edinburgh, where his research focuses on the network society, digital art and technology, and the Internet of Things. Welcome to both of you. Hi. Good morning. As we're recording this episode remotely on Zoom due to COVID-19 restrictions, it would be really great for our listeners to get an idea of where you're both coming from today. Um, you know, where in the world are you? What can you see around you? What might we hear during the course of the recording? Um, I must mention that it's bin day where I am, so you might hear some noise from my background. Uh, Kelly, can you tell us where you are? I am in a little town called Ponteclean, which is about 10 miles outside of Cardiff. Um, I'm in a spare bedroom, so I'm hopefully not going to be disturbed as it's just me and my partner working from home at the moment. And so yeah, it should be nice and quiet. Thank you. And what about you, Chris? I'm in North Queensferry. It's a little village at the end of the famous Red Forth Railway Bridge. Um, so it's about seven miles out of Edinburgh. Um, two cats, two kids partner so who knows what will rush in um, but uh, hopefully they're still in bed. Well we look forward to any interruptions. <laughs> uh, it's great to have you both here to discuss this topic in a year where we've seen a dramatic shift in the volume of digital content that's produced and consumed and as a result there's of course this increased demand on creative workers to produce all of that content. Um, Kelly can you begin by just giving us an overview of the work that, that you've been involved with? 
So because my work is predominantly with the over 50s, we've been very conscious that some digital work can exclude um, some of the people that we work with. So there's a Welsh Government report called Connected Communities that came out in February this year, and that was looking at social isolation across Wales. And they quoted the National Survey for Wales of 2018-2019 and stated that 51% of those over 75 are not online. And also the Centre for Ageing Better reported that 3.7 million over 55s across the UK are not online. So we're very conscious that any work that we do can't just have an online context. We need to be looking at how else we can support people to access creativity um, when, when they're not using the internet or don't have access to that technology. And what has that meant then during, during lockdown when you've not been able to you know, actually engage with people in, in real time, as it were? Yeah, so in March, we decided to postpone our annual festival, which usually takes place in May. It felt like the right thing to do at the time. We didn't feel like it was a responsible choice to bring people together, which is what we predominantly do through the Gwanwin Festival. So um, we've been working with our partners on that festival and looking at ways that we could um, still run some events potentially in October, looking at digital platforms. Um, One of our partners, Artists Community in Pontypridd, They are looking at doing some online activities and Zoom workshops leading up to an exhibition that may be online in October. And we're also considering how we might be able to do things in a socially distanced way, you know, using bigger spaces that might be available or just basically ensuring that people can be safe because there's a real value in in people coming together. And that's what we need to be aiming for in the future. So we'll also be running some events in May 2021, fingers crossed. I mean, artist community do do fantastic things as well. So it's, you know, it's great that you're connecting and collaborating a- across the creative industries. And um, Chris, could you tell us a bit about what you've been working on and perhaps share with us what's been produced in Scotland during this period? Sure. Lockdown came as a, as a real challenge for Edinburgh. I mean, as, as world renowned for its festivals, of which there's over 11 now, I forget how many, it's, um, it's a huge Huge impact, actually, because, of course, um, the city operates on this idea and this, um, th- these economies that run through a theatre, small theatre, attracting a show and a company. Um, and that has impact on the, the local audiences, the tourism, the hotels, the transport. And it's quite eerie moving through Edinburgh now when there's nothing. Um, um, and you're really aware of the Airbnbs, which are all there all year waiting to be filled up just empty so even the residents in the middle of edinburgh just don't understand quite what happened to a city Um, and it's yeah very very haunting Um, so we've done our best to slip in where we can i think it's fair to say that there's a mixed sense of literacies if you like um, around digital and data the startups were able to move quite quickly those working in data areas were okay they had a sense of resilience Um, that see them moving to homes. Of course, incubators like Codebase lost the sense of social, lost the community, um, but people were able to carry on digital practices at home. And Edinburgh is really good at that um, at one end. Of course, the other end, which is the material, the social, the very analogue, of course, completely um, confounded and at a loss at really what to do. So um, we came in as a team and tried to do what we could. We, we ran some online events every Friday uh, where we paid artists, just four artists at a time, to come and do a talk. And that helped us. I can't say it was much money, but it helped them a little bit. 
but it also helped, I think, a group of um, hundreds of people, wasn't thousands, convene around um, a Zoom on a Friday where they actually could share and learn. And they watched, it's quite interesting, back to the face and back to their hands and back to their, their little rooms to see that what they were doing and how they were doing it was familiar and they were moving through together as a community. So we did our best. I think it's still tough in Edinburgh. So important to bring together communities even on that online space. I think that's definitely something that we've seen at Creative Cardiff. Kelly, you know, what sort of what sort of barriers were you finding for your creative workers as well as the, the barriers that participants might have? Um, was it was it difficult for those that you engage with to keep creating content to meaningfully um, work with older people? Yeah, I think we um, quite early on, we joined up with Artworks Cymru and a number of other organisations to run some participatory art Zoom sessions um, to basically capture what people were doing and how they were responding to the crisis and, and how their work had changed and also offering some opportunities to share best practice. And that was a really enlightening experience. Um, I hosted one specifically around working with older people. What was amazing was how quickly people adapted there was an organisation called Relive, who particularly do a lot of work at the moment with people with dementia through drama and theatre and, and devising and writing. They were straight online, able to kind of work with a lot of their groups through Zoom. Um, and Karen Diamond, who is their director, is kind of a leading our best practice at the moment in terms of adapting. And she had lots of ways of working where um, you could help with people who struggled with eye contact through Zoom. So she'd do some exercises by closing their eyes, giving people permission to turn on and off the camera, doing some exercises that specifically did turn off the camera. The other thing that came out of that experience was um, speaking to lots of different organisations about access needs for different um, audiences. I spoke to Voluntary Arts Wales about a way to ensure that we are supporting visually impaired audiences by, by describing ourselves when we're speaking on Zoom calls. And there's lots of work being done kind of across those networks. But I just think the artists have been amazing across Wales, you know, despite a lot of them losing a huge amount of work really quickly. They're all very flexible, adaptable, and they're really passionate about wanting to connect with audiences at the moment because they, more than anyone, understand the importance of creativity when we are isolated from each other. And in terms of, you know, the positives, do you see any benefits that have come out during lockdown in the way that you've been working that you would like to carry forward in a, in a post-COVID-19 world? The networking itself has become so much easier. Um, we've been able to connect with organisations and individuals across Wales so easily compared to what it would have been like previously, where we would have tried to meet up, you know, which would have been a six hour train journey to Bangor to try and meet up with someone working up there. And this has kind of made it a lot easier to have a united voice around participatory arts, which has been really um, really positive, I would say. And lots of organisations that I've spoken to have reported that they are reaching new audiences. Um, so people who previously couldn't physically go to events or go to workshops or classes are now more than happy to join through Zoom if that's something that they are familiar and comfortable with. So I think we've got an opportunity to kind of reach new people through uh, new technologies and, and technologies that people are adapting to really quickly. Um, but my focus is always making sure that we're not leaving anyone behind. 
I think your point there is, is, is a great one around reaching wider audiences. We've had a number of events in which we've had international you know, guests and that's not something perhaps would have been an option before doing things online. So there, there are lots of positives too. Um, Chris, you're the director of a creative industries cluster project, which involves a lot of engagement with creatives. And I know that you guys have just published a guide to virtual events. What positives and negatives have you seen during this time with everybody moving online? We have a, a large team, actually, and it's been, I mean, hey, look, we're, we're incredibly lucky to keep that team together when so many people were furloughed during that period of time. But it was really, really helpful in the events system review, if you like, by Chris and the team really helped us understand what we mean by value. Um, I think what we found was that this this thing will look back. I don't know when we'll look back with some sense of um, distance. Um, it's so engulfing, isn't it? But it was a cut. It cut through everything and particularly it cut value. So the value of that which artists thought they had, creatives thought we had, we all assumed that the value, the value proposition, the thing would be consistent through our lives. And it wasn't. Something was cut through them and it meant all of the the value propositions, the thing that we cared about, the, the goodness, um, the fairness of, and the imagination of great creative projects was just cut away. And it's meant that a whole bunch of communities have had to rethink what the new value proposition is. I think most of us really care about creative artifacts, cultures, systems, services, products in our lives. And life without a creative culture would be, well, it's hard to imagine. So what we've had to try to do is scaffold events that help people understand how they can rebuild value propositions toward a completely different lifestyle, culture, a series of services, including social distances. So working with galleries, how do you help a gallery that has taken it for granted that they're part of a, a material, social, analogue time out from the real world, suddenly to, to, to almost adopting cues like a supermarket? I mean, that is counter to everything they know, but they have value. So how do you help them think about moving toward new forms, new uh, uh, value propositions sounds sound so marketing, doesn't it? But really it's a way of thinking through how do you change your thing <laughs> to retain the value and the values that you held on to when you've lost so much. So what we've done, and I think the clue is in the name creative informatics, which is a, a bit of a complicated term, but the informatics bit is the study of the flow of data. And what we're trying to do, and it's working very well, is helping organisations, if they can study the flow of their data, they can begin to find out what lands, what works with their audiences, and what therefore is viable and valuable. Um, so what we're really encouraging everyone to do, and we, we take that, we hold their hand through um, uh, workshops or advice or examples and case studies, is show them how they can build something, measure its effectiveness, by using data, feedback loops, and then learn. And then they build again. And this build, measure, learn approach allows producers, uh, organizations, artists to think, well, hey, I've got to try everything. And we've had uh, a female do, had a really great life drawing business in Edinburgh, highly analog, situated in Summer Hall, incredibly popular, oversubscribed on a weekly basis prior to lockdown. Suddenly she's flipped it to Zoom. And I didn't believe you could do that because I used to do life drawing and I need both eyes and I need a three-dimensional subject. But she, she, that isn't the point. What she's doing is learning through the data and the feedback, verbal on every session, that actually she can change the value proposition 
that it needn't be physical at the moment. And the community have really rallied around. And she's got international life drawers. So suddenly she's got a brand new audience, brand new product, uh, and it's changed fundamentally how she'll probably proceed into the future. And maybe she's got two products, one in, in the physical space and one in the virtual. So it's this data literacy, learning how you can listen to audiences, learn from what is valuable from their perspective, and it might be multiple things you didn't expect, and then changing and adapting, and that's quite iterative. So, yeah, we're a fair bit of success moving people into that way of thinking. That's a, a fantastic example. I think it really explains what we're hoping creatives will be able to do is that kind of iteration um, of their of their work at Creative Cardiff. You know, we've we've done a lot of content <laughs> during lockdown. You know, website resources, online events, newsletters, commissions, as much as we possibly can have created online. <laughs> I think the team have done it. But I think your point there around how do you measure the impact of that how do you monitor that it's not something that all organizations or indeed freelancers are, are set up to do and I think it seems like quite a scary thing when you say data perhaps it seems like huge that you need all these systems and you know processes in place what would you say to any creatives that are listening now that want to start monitoring the impact that their online content is having yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And the language we've, ha I think we've done an awful lot during lockdown to try to break down the language because you, you're right, you used the key word there, which was listening. All that the data does is allows you to listen to what's going on in the world and allow you to change. And, and I'm not sure we, the arts really, we're, we, we're good at parties, we're great vivacious people, we put on the best shows and we do listen uh, kind of tacitly really we listen by intuitively tuning into the world but purposefully sitting down after you put a show on we're not so good at we tend to get it to show and then go and have a party and what we're trying to encourage people to do is that isn't the full journey build it and then spend some time measuring it now you might have to put um you just might have to talk to people get them back on zoom ask them a few questions at the end of hey was how was that and you can do that really simply and that's data um, you, you, if you could record those and write them down, that's a, a very good method. Slowly, you could start using Google Forms. I don't want to overuse Forms because I think and no one wants to go to a form after a great event. So finding some way of testing the temperature. And then you'll know this, how it works, because you'll do it again or you'll change it slightly the next time. And it will be, uh, I mean, the startups call it a fast fail, that you'll have to fail, accept that it won't land perfectly first time. And every time you do it, you'll expect to find something else that someone values because there'll be always be something unknown. And it's the ability to listen fundamentally. And then there's lots of other things we can do all the way up to Salesforce. But I don't think creatives are ready for solid data uh, capture yet because they just want to learn how to listen. Of course. And Kelly, in, in terms of the work that you guys have done, have you been evaluating that as you go? I think we've been doing a lot of work kind of facilitating conversations really rather than developing projects specifically but we've talked a lot in some of our networking sessions about ways to evaluate what we're doing and I know that the participatory arts practitioners are really good at reading a room seeing what's landing like you were saying Chris really doing that in an intuitive way and they're having to relearn how to do that through digital means um so they're having to pick up on all sorts of different cues 
that they previously weren't picking up on. Um, and we've talked a bit about using things like polling in Zoom, the chat, but we feel like we're at the very early stages of it at the moment. And previously with our with some of our projects, we've worked really closely with universities and like with the Cartrevi project, we work five years now with the University of Bangor and their Dementia Services Development Centre. So we are used to working in quite a robust way. Um, but as we're developing new projects and having to adapt quite quickly, we haven't necessarily set up those mechanisms. So it's just thinking long term about what we're doing and making sure that we are planning for evaluation within within everything that we're doing and yeah using the tools that we can so we're, we're running a project at the moment which is about doing a lot of engagement with older people across wales looking at representation of people in the media we had got very sick of seeing the wrinkly hands on a walking stick image to represent anyone over 50 um, and I think COVID has made that worse so this project was planned before the pandemic and I think it's particularly timely at the moment so we are using things like Google Forms we're joining um, some of the older people's forums through Zoom and I think the amount of data we collect will be indicative of how successful that project is and actually because we're now doing it in a very different way to the way we originally intended to do it we should get a wider variety of answers and responses than we previously were going to perhaps that sounds like a really important project and we you know we'd love to hear more about that as it develops i think you hit the nail on the head there when when you talked about the rapid change and the the constantly evolving picture during lockdown in terms of this urgency it's meant that people's skills um have had to really really quickly change they might not have needed these skills before creatives so i mean chris do you think that training providers such as universities colleges what will they how will they approach skills provision after this period um in terms of digital and online yeah re really good question and it's very very challenging so in the creative space i think it'll be super challenging because Universities took for granted, well, maybe they didn't take Europe for granted, but we've got these rooms, these studios full of printing presses, um, fashion studios, costume studios, and they're an, they were an incredible resource. They still are, but of course now we're facing an extraordinary reduction in how many students you can get in them. And of course the other atmosphere of the studio, you knew a really terrific studio. When you walked in, you could feel the stereo was on, people working beyond hours, um, hopefully they weren't doing all-nighters, but they really thrived in it. And you had microwaves dinging, you had little kettles. People were living out of these extraordinary imaginative places which defined them as creatives. That's gone. And that cut, again, that loss, is going to be a tremendous journey through this. Um, and, and I know through this semester's work at Cardiff, at Edinburgh, wherever we are in art colleges, we've got to learn to figure out what the hybrid is. How do you retain some of the, the value of being connected socially, culturally, looking at each other? I mean, as students, we were always checking each other out. What are you wearing? What are you doing? How, what are you listening to? And that's, that's, going to be, that's going to require something else. And it can't be gone because we want our young creatives to be all the time figuring out what the cool thing, what the, where the space of imagination is. So we've got to think and we've got to help them. Things I think we've noticed, creatives are terribly unstrategic about their skills learning. They'll stay in studios and they will return to skills when they need them, really on the fly, very, very dynamic. And unfortunately, we see this all the way through their careers that they'll, they might be thinking, oh, I must learn video. I must learn some video processing. I must, I must do that at some point. And then a brief comes along or a job comes along and they'll pile into it and they're pretty good 
um, at capturing the skills on the fly, but it means they're just not resilient. They're not planning ahead. Um, now, that means that universities aren't so good at dynamic skilling. So in other words, I've probably got a team of, um, I've got Billy, who's going to teach some 3D skills in week seven of the semester. Now, that's planned. Now, if Susie wants some skills in week one in 3D, she's going to have to wait seven weeks. So she'll go to YouTube or she'll go to LinkedIn. She'll get a whole bunch of different places where she'll get that dynamic skill base because she's not in the studio. So the, the time of the studio would have meant that, yeah, I'll get to it then because I've got these people around me. Now Susie's at home. She's going to go and get what she needs when she needs it. So two things there. One, we have to help creatives become a little bit more strategic in their planning in terms of a university. But the university may well have to think about how to make things more dynamic to nourish and fuel that, that, that need. The other fascinating thing we also find is that the cut, as I keep referring it to, is forcing verticals to shift. And by verticals, I mean places where we thought we got all of our, uh, our knowledge or our value, such as in, that, in my village, a local restaurant. It obviously had a butcher's supply, had a meat supply, which was just to the restaurant. Now, when the cut came in the village, the restaurant started to saying to the villagers, the locals, all of us, hey, would you like some fresh meat instead of going to Asda or the supermarkets? So what happened, these verticals, which were just kept within certain sectors, suddenly got really disruptive. And we're also beginning to find that we need to help creatives get out of their subsector, get at our studio. Their studio is gone. How do we help them jump into other sectors? So, for example, would it be of interest to get some creatives to hang out at the back of a financial services meetup? Now, they wouldn't normally mix, right? You just wouldn't get the creatives going to a banking evening. They just wouldn't want to be there. But on the other hand, what we're finding now is that they can quietly attend a Zoom call, a Zoom meetup, and begin to watch and learn about a completely different sector and slowly think about, oh, that's interesting. I, I might be able to use that. And we don't want them to become bankers. We don't expect them to become programmers. But by jumping around a little bit, I think, again, the university should be a place to allow people to be more liberal in their searches for what works for them. So that access to skills development has, has been levelled, the, the playing field. Yeah, that's a good, and levelling and flattening is a good, and make, encouraging creatives to be as um, playful, adventurous as possible. Remember, you can sit at the back of a Zoom with your video and your voice off, just listening, but beginning to make networks, open up networks and begin to learn and Yes, flattening everything. I think, yeah, that's really good encouragement for anybody listening, you know, to, to find yourself in a Zoom call that you know nothing about and just learn. <laughs> I mean, Kelly, for you, what, what skills have your practitioners had to adopt in this period and, and how do you think they've they found that? Overwhelmingly positive from what I've seen and picked up from um, some of the Zoom calls I've been on and some of the networking events. I've seen lots of um, artists developing their skills in creating videos that they might be sharing on YouTube and how to guides and things like that. I think there's a lot of interest around access. So people looking at developing their skills, something that comes quite naturally when they're in a room with someone, you know, making sure everyone can be involved, whether they're visually impaired or deaf or 
um, have any other sort of access needs. And that's something they're used to doing, but it's making sure that they're able to do that through through Zoom now and through online platforms. And we're seeing lots of organisations putting their hands up and saying, well, we've got some knowledge in that, so we'll host a session. You can come along. And that's what's been really nice to see is, is because maybe some people have got a bit more time on their hands. They're not travelling as far to do stuff. So they can spend an hour in the morning going to a networking event where they can learn a bit more about access, which has been really wonderful to see. I think it would be interesting to see if any kind of short courses develop, like Chris was saying, around 3D work or, or access or um, creating videos for YouTube or something like that so that people can go to YouTube if they need to. But actually, maybe there's something more formal there that people can dip into as they as they discover they need these things without having to go back to university to do a full full course maybe there were kind of is a modular way of doing it in the future yeah where people can be supported through their learning but they can choose it on their own terms i mean it sounds like from both of you that um i know the answer to this question but you know looking to the future do we think that we'll see this blended approach to kind of live real-time events and participation you know, complemented by online resources and engagement. Is that is that something you think we're we're moving towards, Chris? Yeah, certainly Edinburgh's having to I think everyone's having to think about the same. I think I don't want to say my, my universe was lazy, but it was sitting on a beautiful city with a beautiful um resources, physical resources. And we were pretty advanced on some of the the, the hybrid online stuff actually but yes we're gonna have to think rethink what the student experience is from a whole bunch of values. I mean, what does Freshers' Week look like <laughs> all of a sudden? And th- some of those things were our most important memories, weren't they, at that time? So I think the whole thing needs rethinking. Um, and there's some terrific people to do it, but there's no hanging about because, of course, A-level results have come out. Um, and there's a whole bunch of clearing that took place. And there's a whole bunch of new students who've got an entirely different experience to us. And Kelly, for Age Cymru, do you think you're going to have this blended approach to, to engagement going forward? Absolutely. I think we never want to lose sight of the importance of physical contact, being in a room, um, bringing older people together to be social, because that's always been a very valuable part of the work that we do. But, you know, we've learned a lot about reaching new audiences, giving other people a voice. We've been working with 750 older people that we were never really reaching before over the pandemic through our check-in and chat calls. So these are older people that are particularly isolated, don't necessarily have family around, live alone, may have serious health conditions or mental health conditions. And we've got a real opportunity to kind of encourage them and enable them to, to get involved in creative activities. And, and lots of different areas of our work uh, in the future. So I think we've learned a lot and I definitely think we'll be approaching things in a kind of multi-pronged way. Well, thank you so much to both of you for your insight. I mean, this is an ever-evolving piece and I think we could have talked for hours about it, but it's been fantastic to, to learn more from both of your experiences. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much for inviting us. And thanks to our listeners. If you enjoyed, please rate and review. It'll help other creatives to find our podcast. We always want to know what you think, so do be sure to tag at Creative Cardiff in any comments on social media. Get a Proper Job is made by Creative Cardiff with and for the creative community. I've got a proper job.